I'm excited about the message today, and I'm really praying that God will do more than my voice, because if I just stand up here and talk, it's meaningless. God's got to really speak to our hearts. And so I'm just going to pray before we start, asking the Holy Spirit uh, to meet us uh, each where our need is today. Father, thank you for your love for us today, and I just want to invite your Holy Spirit to shine a light into our hearts, to help us to hear what you want us to hear, see what you want us to see, and help us to do what you want us to do for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we got some exciting things going on in our community. It's tough to keep track. You know, I kind of keep track of Reno County, but then I'm reminded we're beyond Reno County. Um, we have uh, McPherson County. We have other counties around us that we have people coming to our church from Fairfield and from Inman and others. And so um, sometimes I'm quick to congratulate our Reno County schools. And so I can certainly congratulate Bueller on their uh, great win of uh, Friday night and going on to the semifinals. We also have Inman and we have Tanner Heckel from Inman, Kansas. He's on the team there. They're, they're 10-0. And uh, I had a perfect record like that once, 0-10, my sophomore year. It was the opposite record. But 10-0, and, and they're in the semifinals this next year. And um, uh, I think uh, Luke and Jake Bauman, who finished out at Fairfield in their season. And uh, there's so many others. And I just wish I could get them all. And sometimes, I, you know, I just can't. There's just so many good things happening around here. And I want to congratulate those. And certainly, we're, we're wishing Hutch Juco today a great win in Indy uh, for our community and I, I love sports, and you probably picked up on that for this reason. I love sports because everyone knows what the objective is. Um, you can be my, like my wife who doesn't really care about football at all, but she knows what the objective is. Every person knows what the objective is. It's to win. You want to win games. And the other thing about it is when you lose games, you kind of know why you lost it too. You can look at it and go, you know what? We didn't run the ball very well. We turned the ball over too much. You can kind of point to a few things and go, this is why we weren't successful on this day. It's just, it's really more easy to see uh, sports in that way. And the church sometimes can be a little bit more vague, but I really believe our win is clear. Uh, we say it on our mission statement, our win is to help people find and follow Jesus. We don't want them just to find Jesus. We don't want them just to get baptized and then that's it. We want them to find and follow Jesus. That's why we're here today. Well, how do we do that? That kind of seems kind of vague. How do we follow Jesus? What, is, what does that look like for us? Um, and we're going to try to give some handlebars to that today. And I really think it comes down to this. It comes down to a one word, love. That's our win. God is love. Without God, there is no love. And first of all, we need to receive that love. And then that's where our win is, is we are given this commandment by, we've been, we're studying these three or four weeks from Jesus who said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we express it. And, and what does it look like to, to love in that way? Love such a, it's, it's such a thing. We say so many things that we love. We've talked about this before. You know, we say we love pizza. You know, we, we love the Broncos or we love the Chiefs or there's a lot of things that we love and really that's not love. But love is what we set our affections on. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But love is primary to a follower of Jesus. It's primary to, it's primary to who we are. Well, what does that look like? What does love look like? Well, I can tell you what it's so important that in 1 Corinthians, it says that if you don't have love, you have nothing. 
You can have all the faith in the world. You can know the Bible backwards and forwards. But if you don't have love, we have nothing. If we don't have love, we have nothing. And so we're going to look today at this again, Mark 12, 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And we're going to stop there. Uh, this is really what worship is. We worship through song today, but that's just a 1%, 2% of what worship is. Worshiping God is everything, the heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the number one thing that we were created for, the very thing that we were created for. It's also what will make you the happiest and healthiest. I don't know anybody in the face of this, on the face of this planet who doesn't want to be happier who doesn't want to be happy, who doesn't want to be healthy. Everyone wants to be happy. Everyone wants to be healthy. And the true happiness and, and being truly healthy is to worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's what we were created for is the title of our message series, You Were Made for This. If you missed last week, we talked about the mind and how the, the first step in that is to repent. And repent can seem like such a big word, but it's really a simple word. It means to change your mind, to change the way that you think. And we talked about it last week, and it means to, to come into agreement with God. And the primary thing is that we're a sinner and we need a Savior, that we all need a Savior. That is to what repentance is. It's to change our mind. This week, it's the heart. What's the heart? Well, it's the emotions. It's the affections. It's, it's what we... It's what we put ourselves into. It's that love, that, describe, that description of a feeling. It's, it's not just to barely get into heaven, but to be all in. That's what it is to love God with all of our heart. We understand the physical heart. That's easy to understand. The physical heart, we know that it's what pumps the blood through our body. And we know that it is the source of life, that with, without that heart pumping blood through our body, we're dead and we die. So think of it in the way of a spiritual heart today. If your spiritual heart isn't beating, we're dying or we're dead. In fact, our physical heart, we're born alive physically, but really we're born dead spiritually. When we are born into this world, we are born alive physically in our bodies, but we are spiritually born dead because of Adam and Eve and because of our sins, because of our choices, but we're, we're born into this world with sin. And sin makes us spiritually dead. And so that's why Jesus in John chapter 3 talked about to Nicodemus, the Pharisee, and it was hard for him to understand, but that's where that word comes from, to be born again. Because we can't just be born of the physical body, we got to be born of the spirit, and we got to be, we got to be born again. When we repent, our spiritual heart begins to beat and it begins to come to life. When we repent and ask Christ to come into our life, Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's when our spiritual heart begins to beat. Do you remember when your heart, your spiritual heart began to beat? Do you remember when you began to come to life? I remember that day for me. It was 10 years old on a Sunday night. Some of you have heard my story. It's very short, not very long. How can it be for a 10-year-old? But the, the Lord, I was just minding my own business, laying in my bed that night. But I, I now know it was the Holy Spirit, but I felt this draw. I felt this draw on my spirit to God. And, and I, I, it was, I mean, think about that. The God of the universe, the God that created all things, 
comes and is drawn a 10-year-old boy, and, and that's how he draws each of us. He's drawn us to himself. But think about that for a moment. I know we can just dismiss that thought. But the God of the universe has no need of anything. He has nothing that we can offer. He's self-sufficient. He didn't need anything from a 10-year-old boy. He didn't need anything from you. But the one thing that he wants and the one thing he can't have, the one gift he can't receive is the only thing that we can give to him. And that's our heart. It's our choice. It's, it's, it's the thing that God wants the most. It's the, it's, he doesn't need us, but he wants us. And it's the one thing that God can't uh, get for himself. We have to choose to give him our heart. Think about it, how he pursues us. He seeks us. He searches for us. I, I believe God has searched for each of, uh, each of us. And I believe if you're not following Jesus today, I believe that he's, there's a full court press. There's an all-out uh, uh, effort by the Holy Spirit. He wants you. If you're watching today, you may be wondering, why am I watching today? It's the Holy Spirit is wanting you to hear his love for you. He's wanting to hear the message. And it's our choice whether to receive that or not. But I believe he's seeking us. He's searching for us. Second Chronicles 16.9 in the Old Testament says, the eyes of the Lord search for the whole, for the, in the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are committed to him. He's searching for hearts that will commit to him. When Jesus found me and invited me into relationship, my spiritual heart started beating, and I started to come to life. And things changed for me. My affections changed. Uh, my desires changed. I, I wasn't perfect, but I, I had a new desire. I wanted to worship him. I wanted to, I wanted to do things that honored him and glorified him. I, I, I actually started listening to my dad uh, preach. I mean, I heard his messages before. My dad was a pastor. I began to listen to his message. I, I began to want to know what he had to say. I began to want to read my Bible. I began to want to understand. I, want, I wanted to be around other Christians and other followers because I wanted to learn what it was like because my spiritual heart started to beat and I began to come to life. And actually, it was kind of a high and euphoria at the start. But through the ups and downs of life that we all experience, that kind of spiritual high went away because it's unsustainable. But there was, there was enough to set the coordinates of my heart towards Jesus Christ and my affections would follow. Coordinates, what do I mean by coordinates? I set my coordinates. Coordinates are what the captain of a ship will set. It's what the captain of a ship will set and often check to make sure the ship stays on course. It's that longitude, it's that latitude that we learned about in elementary school and things that we never, it's how ships uh, follow their course. And without the coordinates, the ship will veer off course and will eventually, it, it will destroy, it will be destruction, it will crash if it doesn't have coordinates to keep it on course. And the same is true with our heart. Our heart goes where we put our focus, where we set our coordinates. Our heart follows what we set our affections on. And we can set our affections on so many things. And they're not bad things, and, uh, but we can set our affections on money, sports, clothes, cars, food, work, smartphones, pleasure, uh, uh, our, our, and our emotions. And our emotions and our heart will catch up to what we set our affections on. Jesus said it this way. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Your heart is the ship. Your heart is the ship. Where your ship ends up will be determined by the coordinates that you set for your heart. And if you don't set coordinates for your heart, you're going to drift and you're going to go off course because that's what we as humans do. Human nature is to drift. Human nature is not to be in intentional and just to let life happen. We have to be intentional with our hearts or our hearts are going to veer off course. You have to remain intentional, set coordinates of your hearts. If, if you don't, you will drift. Or to use analogy of a fire, you'll burn out. Love is a fire. And if you don't stoke the flames, eventually your fire will burn out. Your love will burn out. Maybe your love for God at times is growing cold. Don't panic. Paul says to a young Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.6, he says, For this reason, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. What's that gift? It's the Holy Spirit. If you receive Christ and ask Jesus to come in your heart and your life, he's given us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God lives in us, but we have to fan that flame. And if we don't fan that flame, that fire is going to burn out. We know what it is to go camping. And we know when we camp that we have to continue to put more wood on the fire. We have to stoke the fire. We have to do things to keep the flame going. And the same is true of our love and our affection for God. And what about marriage? If the love in your marriage is going out, you have to stoke the flames. You, you have to put wood on the fire. You have to do things to keep that fire going. Left to itself, that love will grow cold. Left to itself, that love will burn out. And you may be saying this morning, Pastor, it's too late. The fire's already out. And I would say to you, friends, with God, nothing's too late. Because when you're at a campfire and the fire's gone out, uh, it, it, you, you know, you go to bed at, at night and the embers go out and you wake up in the morning, the, the fire's gone. Do you go, well, we're just done. Nobody will fire. No, you start a new fire. You get new wood and you, and you get new kindling and you start doing the things you did at first. It, it's not too late. It's actually what Jesus said to the church in Revelations 2, 4, and 5. He says, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Acknowledge that you're not in a good place, that you haven't stoked the fire. Don't beat yourself up over it, but repent of that. Repent, say, I'm sorry, and, and start a new fire. I know these words were written to the church, but I believe the principles hold true for our relationships, for our marriages. Do the things you did at first. Husbands, pursue your wives. Wives, chase after your husbands. Date. Do the things you did at first. You won her over once, win her over again. It, it, it took effort and time. And, uh, you know, it, for Heather and I, I mean, it didn't just happen all at once. I, I had to, you know, I told you about her mistake one time, and I was her only kiss. She got it right. But she broke up with me. She kissed another guy. She got it wrong. She made it back, though. I had to win her over. You won over once, winner over again. And it won't happen overnight. You might have to see a counselor. You might have to go get help. It's okay. You won't automatically get those feelings back because you just repent and start today. But where you put your treasure, there your heart will be also. Guys, remember how much money we spent on our gals? Do you remember? You didn't even ask if you had the money. You just did it. 
I mean, you ran up your credit card or whatever it took, but I mean, if they wanted it and they wanted to go out or you took them on, you took them on, you planned special dates, you did special things, you, you did special things that you just, you, you just wanted to do them. And you began to put your treasure there. And where you put your treasure is, you, then your heart, your heart was there. Where you put your treasure, your heart will eventually follow. Church, let me talk to us for a minute. Will you allow me to be your pastor for just a moment? Do you know what the greatest threat to the church is today for our love and our affection? Do you know what I believe the greatest threat to the church today, the number one enemy of your soul as well as this? Apathy. Spiritual apathy. Drifting. Just letting life take its course. Let our circumstances determine where we're going to end up. Not, not being intentional and keeping the, the ship on course, but just letting your spiritual journey happen as it is. And when we're not an intentional, a fire left unattended goes out. A ship without coordinates drifts and goes off course. I was reading some statistics of this last year or so, comparing it to 10 and 20 years ago. And this is Barna. And I'll just share some things quickly with you. Man, there was so much. And I was like, there's just a lot here, but there's a lot more. Here's some things of kind of Americans where we are with Christianity. First of all, Bible users. 50% of Americans uh, say they open their Bibles outside of a service. Now, I looked into that a little bit deeper, and they gave credit for anyone who had done that three or four times in a year. That was considered a Bible user, three or four times in a year. Uh, so that was a little depressing to me. This was some good news. Over 50% of Americans believe we would be worse off without the Bible. It's still not as high as I would like it to be, but that's just let the stats stand for themselves. One in six Americans read the Bible most days of the week. People praying, about 70%. I mean, atheists pray. You don't believe it, just they go through a hard time or something. They're in, I mean, God! <laughs> I mean, it just, it's a natural reaction God puts within us. But 70% of Americans profess to praying regularly. Then they did a study on practicing Christians, and practicing Christians are on the decline. A, a practicing Christian is defined by this study as someone identifying as a Christian, number one, agree strongly that faith plays an important part in their lives, number two, and attend church once a month, number three, or 12 times a year. By that definition, 45% of Americans in 2000 were practicing Christians. By that same definition, 25% in 2021. I think the pandemic's had a little bit, but that was heading that way anyway. But I think that kind of sped some things up. Four Americans, uh, one, that means one in four Americans now are considered practicing Christians by this standard. 43% are non-practicing Christians. What's that mean? It means that they identify as Christian, but they don't qualify with those other two things. They, but they identify as Christian. And then one-third of our country doesn't identify as Christian at all. 33% don't identify as Christians. Uh, there's things that were of interest that I thought, too, as well as tithing. I don't think this is a pandemic issue, by the way. This has always kind of been the case. But 5% of churchgoers 
give 10% or more of their income. 30% of all people in America do no charitable giving at all. That means they don't give to the United Way, they don't give to the Salvation Army, but 30%. I know, now you're starting to get depressed. You go, where's he going with this? Let me give you some good news. 50% of Americans give up to 2% of their income. Now, you could look at that one or two ways. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. You know what that tells me? That 50% of people want to give, are willing to give, want to do something. There's a desire within them to want to help others, and they're willing. And by the way, 2% adds up. You add that up amongst 50, uh, you know, 50% of Americans, every little bit adds up. So how do we fan the flames? How do you identify coordinates to, to get where God wants you to be, from where you are to where God wants you to be? How do we set those coordinates? How do we set the fire? What can we do to fight spiritual apathy and move towards loving God with all our hearts? What might that look like? Well, that's a comprehensive kind of response. But I want to share five things today with you, really one and four. The first one is this, is last week, is number one is just repent. It's to change our mind. It's to come in agreement with God that, you know, I'm not meant to do this on my own. I'm not meant to do this by myself, that I can't do this on my own. And I, I need a Savior. I need God. I need forgiveness. I need His grace. I need His mercy in my life. And I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to agree that I am dependent and I'm dependent on God. And I need you, God. That is, and to change and to turn towards God. That's the first thing. The second is to raise your spiritual temperature. You know what a thermometer is, and you know what a thermostat is. And they seem like they might have the same function, but they don't. They're two totally different instruments that measure. We know that the thermometer measures how, our, how things are, what the temperature is. It doesn't set the temperature, doesn't send it up or down or control it up or down. And I look at that, uh, the, the thermometer is kind of our lives, our circumstances. We don't control our circumstances. A lot of things happen that are outside of our control. And, and, and if we just live by our, what's, what's outside, we can, you know, our, our temperature can go up and down based on just our feelings and our circumstances. But I don't think we should be thermometers. I think Christians should be thermostats. Thermostats set the temperature. And, and they set the temperature regardless of what the circumstances are outside. So in the summer, we turn the temperature down to get it cooler. And in the winter, we turn the heat up a little bit, and we turn the temperature up because it helps keep it warmer. We help regulate. We can't control the outside circumstances. We can't control how cold or hot that it gets, but we can set a thermostat in our home. Now, there's a price to that. Heather and I are on a little bit different ends of the spectrum on this. As we go into the winter times right now, she likes the house a little warmer. I like the little house a little warmer too, but I'm okay with being a little bit cooler because I'm cheap and I don't want to spend the money. There is, there is a cost. There is a cost to, to, to keeping a thermostat, but I'm here to share some good news with you today. We found some compromises in this way because you only have to turn your thermostat one or two degrees to make a difference. You don't have to turn it up 10 degrees to make a difference, but if you just turn your thermostat up one or two, so here's our little compromise. We put our temperature at night when we go to sleep, 
I know, you've just been waiting to go to church this morning or watch online to hear the, 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 the habits of Pastor Kent and what he does in his home and keeps his, his family warm and things. So at night, we turn it down to 55, and then I just wanted to see if you guys were awake. <laughs> we turn it down. I turn it down to like 67, 66, but then I try to get up first. I don't always feel like it, but this is the part is I try to get up, and at least in the morning before we go to school, then we can turn it back down for the day. I can go turn it up to 70. And just two degrees, three degrees, going from 67, 68 to 70, it makes a huge difference getting out of bed. It's not 10 degrees. It's not 20. But I saw a wife and a husband just nudge each other right now. They were like, come on, cheapskate. Let's do something about this. Do you hear the pastor? This is not about the thermostat. This is about our spiritual. I just had fun with that moment. That was, I'll talk to you afterwards. Just be glad I didn't call you out by name. But I saw you guys. I saw you. Four ways to raise your spiritual thermostat, thermometer, excuse me. Thermostat, excuse me. Four ways to raise your spiritual thermostat thermostat and fight the chill of spiritual apathy. I want to share four ways today, and I want to keep in mind growing closer to God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength seems like an overwhelming task because no matter how much, we can never love like God loves us. It's this desire within our heart. God knows our heart. Man looks upon the outward appearance. God looks upon the heart. He, he knows the heart's desire. So if you're sitting here thinking, man, I got to really, to become a strong Christian, I got to move the dial 10 degrees or 11 degrees. No, just begin to move it one or two degrees. Take steps to move closer to God, to raise your spiritual thermometer, regardless of the circumstance. Here's four of them. The first one is this. Turn up the heat of your corporate worship. Turn up the heat of your corporate worship. What do I mean by that? Well, 55 to 60% of us are back in person attendance, uh, being a, a part of the church. I'm honored that those who choose to watch us online, I have someone that sent me a nice email last week from Missouri, and I know it's impossible for them to, to come to church here, but I'm, I'm thankful for those that watch online. And online is not going away. It's the front porch and side porch to our church. It's the front porch, meaning in the last three or four years, if you attended one of our on-site services, it wasn't your first time to attend here. You watched online first. You checked it out. And then you decided to come. Then we have the side door, the side porch. And that's what we all did when we shut down. We all went to the side door and we watched online. And now there's the side door of maybe when you go on vacation or maybe you're not feeling well and you're sick or whatever and you stay at home and, and you watch online. I, I kind of call that the side door. So we have front door kind of for guests and visitors. We have side door for kind of for us that we kind of come in and out of. But we weren't meant to live on the porch. We weren't meant to live outside. We were meant to live around the fire and in the family room. And that's where we experienced the warmth of, of community. And I'm trying to put a picture image, but it's true for us, I believe, spiritually, that we were meant to be in community. And honestly, if I could just be honest with you watching online right now, I'm going to be honest with you completely you can get a better online experience than what we have to offer. You can get better preaching than what I have to offer. I love watching online messages, and there's some incredible preachers out there. Trust me, you can get way better than this. And I'm not putting us down. I'm just saying there are some incredible experiences out there. But I believe this in my heart, and I heard this said recently. I believe a C- minus on-site experience is better than an A-plus online experience. 
There's just something you can't get unless you're with God's people and, and you're in the room. We are the people of God, not a person of God. We were built and made for community. And honestly, if we're honest, and I'm being honest, many of you don't attend here because you're going, man, Pastor, he just knocks it out of the park every week. You just got to go. I mean, we would be full to the nth degree if that was the case. But here's the reality. You're here because of other people. You're, be, you're here because there's something about worshiping together that you can't get worshiping in your car radio go down the road. There's something about being together that you can't get uh, just hearing a message online. We were, God made us for a community. He built us for a community. We are the people of God, not a person of God. And Christ's church is meant for us to grow in our intimacy with Christ and his family. And it's hard to do that. And it's hard for our love and our affection to grow for the church when we're not connected with God's people. It's just, I don't, I'm not going to call it the law of physics. I don't know my science very well. I'm going to call it the law of nature. It's hard to draw close to people that you're not proximity with. It's why long-distance relationships are so hard. It's why long-distance relationships many times burn out and, and they, don't, they don't continue to last because you lose that shared experience. Intimacy, intimacy, intimacy comes through shared experiences with each other. You know, what made our family, you just think it's just fun, but it's more than just fun. But what makes our family close is the years of going on vacations together. There's just shared experiences. We still talk about those things. Remember when we did this? Remember when we went to that state? Remember when we did this? There's shared experiences when we go to ball games together. When we go to the ball games in our community together, that's, that's shared experiences. And when we come away and we all win, that's why, you know, when you, if you go to a Chiefs game or a K-State game or even KU right now, if you go to a, one of their games right now, you go away and everyone's together. Everyone's excited because they all have this shared experience. They put aside their differences they, they said a lot of things that don't, you know, matter but don't really matter. And they put all that aside. They put their politics aside. They put everything aside. And they just said, hey, we're all on the same team right now. We're all going the same direction. That's really the church should do that better than anyone else. We should put aside our differences. We should put about aside things and say, hey, guys, we're all on the same team. And you can't get that just online. So if you're watching online, I'm, I want to encourage you to turn up your thermostat. Just one degree. What do I mean by that? If you're watching, I'm talking to those that are watching right now online or will watch later this week. Maybe you've been watching all online and yet you live within 10, 15, 20 minutes of us. Try this next year, one Sunday a month. Just turn it up a degree. Connect one Sunday a month. Maybe you're here and you're here once a month right now. Just turn it up a degree. Try to be twice a month that you're with God's people hanging out together. You may, some of you are going, well, this leaves me out. You see my faces every week, so this has nothing to do with me. No, we can all turn it up a degree. We can sing. We can lift up a hand. We can use an altar and just come to pray. We can take notes of the message. There's so many different ways that we can raise our spiritual thermometers and just turn it up a degree. And be more intentional to allow God to work in our lives. So I need to move on. I got too excited about this one thing. So I'm going to have to blaze through the next few. The second one is turn up the heat on your Bible study and prayer. Jesus says what we do in secret, he rewards openly. So just turn it up a degree. 
If you're not spending any time with God, don't beat yourself up with that. If you're not opening your Bible at all, don't beat yourself up with that. Turn it up a degree. Get up five minutes earlier. Open up your Bible. Find a good devotional app. There's so many. Through the Word is a great devotional app. And that requires 10 minutes. But, you know, get through the Word. Download it on your, on your you'll get some great teaching. And you go through one chapter a day at a time. And you'll get about a seven, eight-minute devotional that goes along with that chapter of Scripture that will help deepen. It's just habits that you can get into. One verse a day. One, one uh, taking a couple minutes just to pray intentionally. Get a prayer journal. I'm not, I don't have, there's so many different things, but just turn it up a degree. Turn up the thermostat. Three, turn up the heat of connecting in community through serving or life groups. There is a greater apathy most churches, I'm talking to all my pastor friends across the country, there's just a greater apathy when it comes to serving right now. There's also some that are dug in and they're, they're serving even more. But we've noticed serving's, it's been, I'm just going to be honest as a pastor, it's been, it's been harder. People don't want to serve as much or, they, or, they, or it's easy to back out and not keep our commitment. So just turn it up one notch. And, and if you're not serving, ask and put down, you'd be interested in a place to serve on our greeter team or our usher team or in our children's or our youth or whatever. There's just different things that, that God would have us be a part of his body and serve. Or, or maybe that's too big a step and it's like, it's time for me to get in a small group of people. We love Rose, but we believe we're best in circles when we're with small groups of people. Because we can connect a little bit. I can connect a little bit with you. But when we really connect... It was when we're with about seven to ten other believers. And we're meeting on a consistent basis. Pastor Nate would love to help you get connected in a life group. Just let him know. You let us know through the hub that you're interested. And we'll, we'll work to get you in a place that's a good fit for you. And the last thing is this. Turn up the heat of your generosity. Turn up the heat of your generosity. The, the, giving is a spiritual decision. It really is. It's why Jesus talked about it more than anything else. Because he knows that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And man, our treasure, we, and these, are, these aren't bad things, but we give to our kids. And at Christmas, that's coming up. We love doing that. We love giving to our spouses and stuff because our treasure's there. And, and, and it, our hearts begin to follow. So uh, when we turn up the level, the heat on our generosity, and we make a spiritual decision to give... Around here we say start and be consistent. Just start somewhere. You don't have to go straight to 10%, but just start and be consistent. Start and give 1% or 2% every week of what your income is. Work towards a tithe. But just turn it up a, turn up a degree. You've got to be intentional about it. Move up to 3%. Go from $20 a month to $40 a month. Or go from $20 a week to $40 a week. Just do something to turn it up. Or go from 20 to 25 But just... Turn that dial up and God's going to accomplish so much more together through us and you are going to grow spiritually as you trust him with your money as well. I'll finish with this. I was thinking, Kent, where have you done this last year? Where have you turned it up a degree? And I thought of a few different things that intentionally turned it up a degree and I'm going to leave with kind of a lighter one today. This last year, went in for my dental checkup, and Stephanie, who goes to our church, is my dental hygienist. 
And she said, Kent, why don't you just try to use a toothpick every once in a while? You know, I know you're brushing your teeth, but you know, you just use a toothpick. You're thinking, man, our pastor's gross. He's got stuff growing in his teeth. And so, but I said, okay. I said, Stephanie, that's really not that motivating to me because I don't see that stuff. I brush my teeth. I haven't had a cavity for five years since I've been here. I don't think I've had a cavity since I've been here. Kind of have good teeth, hereditary, you know, on get my dad's side, you know, I got his teeth. And so I said, this is not very motivating to me. You'd be better off to say, Kent, you're going to get gum disease if you don't start flossing. And she right back said, well, that's inevitable. That's going to happen. I said, if I start flossing, will it change things? She said, yes, it will. I said, I'm starting today. So for the last six, seven months, I won't say it's every day, but five times a week at least, and now I got these little things that it's not a thing you have to do this with. You got these little, I don't know. I take it in the shower with me. I like a warm, hot shower. And so I take that little thing in the shower with me and I floss my teeth every day. And it doesn't, my teeth don't hurt. My gums don't hurt anymore. And this is way more than what you wanted to know about my hygiene practices. But the point is this. It's one degree that I did to do something better for my health this year, to take care of myself. It wasn't a full-on fledged something else. It was just one degree to make me healthier. And it's going to make me healthier, according to Stephanie, even if I can't see it. And sometimes the degree that you'll, you'll make, you'll go, is it really making a difference? Think about when you eat. You don't always recognize that it's helping you grow, helping you stay healthy. It just is something that we all do so that we don't, so our hearts continue to beat and we drink water, we drink, we do it because it, it helps us even when we can't see it. And friends, when you do things to feed your soul spiritually and when you take action, you may, you may wonder, is this making any difference? I just believe in the principle we, we reap what we sow. And if you just turn it up a degree, pick one or two things. Don't go through my whole list. Just pick one of those four things and let's go, what's one or two things that I could do to just turn the knob up so I can fight spiritual apathy? So I can put my treasure out there and my heart's going to catch up. And as you put your treasure out there and you begin to put your efforts in where you treasure, your heart's going to catch up and it's going to change. It's going to help. So would you pray with me today? Would you stand with me this morning? You've been such a great uh, audience this morning. Um, you always are every single week. God, would you help us? Lord, would you take the word that you've given to us today, the scriptures that have been referenced and focused on, Lord, would you help something today to help us to turn the thermostat up one or two degrees to help us to move closer to loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we'll never do that perfectly. Only you have perfect love. But all that you want from us, you don't want, you don't want perfection from us. You do want our hearts. And we don't want it, perfection from our kids. We love our kids just the way, that we are, the way that they are. But Lord, we want what's best for them. And you as a heavenly, perfect heavenly father want what's best for us. And all you want from us is really all we want from our kids. We just want their love. We just want their love. Father, how humbling it is that the God of the universe that has need of nothing 
wants our love, wants our love. So God, can we just tell you today as we leave this place, we love you. We love you. Help us to live out of that your love this week as we go into our neighborhoods, our work, our schools, for your glory. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great rest of your Sunday, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>